Hello, and welcome to the Hope Reformed Baptist Church of Long Island's podcast. In this episode, we continue our series in the book of Micah. This lesson was presented by Mr. Lawrence Jeffrey on June 6, 2021, during Sunday School. The lesson's title is The Corruption of the People and continues discussion of Micah chapter 4, verses 1 through 5. Please be sure to subscribe to this podcast to hear future episodes. You can also visit our site, hopereformedli.net, and find us on Facebook and Sermon Audio for more information. Where are we at? We're in verse 4. I think I could cover four and five simultaneously. So I say, we'll see what happens. <clears throat> All right, so let's pray, and we'll read our text again. We're in Micah 4, 1 to 5 still. We've been here for quite some time, but hopefully it has been beneficial for everybody. I know it's been beneficial for me. And the wonderful thing about texts like this is it covers the whole gamut, you know. So let's... Uh, Let's pray, and then we'll talk about it. So, Heavenly Father, Lord, we thank you, Father, for this wonderful day that you've given to us again, Lord, this uh, beautiful day, and we uh, thank you that we can come and gather as your people, that you have made us into a people. We are so disparate and so um, different, Father, and yet now we are a family, Lord, not by flesh and blood or any will of ours, but by your spirit, Lord, we are united one to each other, and we're reunited with you, Lord, through through your spirit and the sacrifice of your son. We thank you for the mercies that we have in him, Lord, and we thank you, Father, for your word, how you have given it to us to guide us and to teach us, Lord, that we might learn who you are and how you operate in this world, Lord. And through so doing, how we are to live in this world, Father. How we are to be conformed to the image of your Son, Lord. And we pray, as as we look at this text and as we read, that we would grow in grace and in truth and in conformity to the image of your Son, Lord. And we pray, Father God, that you'd guide and teach us today. It's in Christ's name we pray. Amen. All right. So, let's read our text again. Everyone should know it by heart by now. So it shall come to pass in the latter days that the mountain of the house of the Lord shall be established as the highest of the mountains, and it shall be lifted up above the hills, and peoples shall flow to it. And many nations shall come and say, Come, let us go up to the mountain of the Lord, to the house of the God of Jacob, that he may teach us his ways, and that we may walk in his paths. For out of Zion shall go forth the law, and the word of the Lord from Jerusalem. He shall judge between many peoples, and shall decide disputes for strong nations far away. And they shall beat their swords into plowshares, and their spears into pruning hooks. Nations shall not lift up sword against nation, neither shall they learn war any more. But they shall sit every man under his vine and under his fig tree, and no one shall make them afraid. For the mouth of the Lord of hosts has spoken. 
for all the peoples walk each in the name of its God, but we will walk in the name of the Lord our God forever and ever. All right, so last week we looked at the judgments of God, right? He shall judge uh, between many peoples and shall decide disputes for strong nations far away. And in terms of that judgment, we saw how vain man's attempts at justice are and and things like this, right? We, we spoke about um, war itself because they won't learn war anymore. That's a great promise that we have, that there will be peace. And how the philosophies of our governments are skewed and corrupted. Now, as we look at what's being said here, as God's house is elevated above all other God's houses, right? As the mountain of the house of the Lord is elevated above all the other gods, and as the peoples flow to that house, flow to the house, right? What is, what is that house again? Who remembers? Very good. <laughs> the church, yes. <laughs> so as the peoples flow to the church, as that church is, as Jesus says, that city set up on a hill, it is as the light of the world, and as the church does its task in teaching the way of God, right, the law of God, as the Great Commission is fulfilled rightly, as people are taught to obey Christ, the world will see that wisdom, as it says in Deuteronomy, right? That God's law is wise. Now, there are things that happen from that, and one is God's judgment. And we said how God's judgment isn't always negative. It's not always death and destruction, right? God also blesses. As a matter of fact, we live in the midst of that we experience the blessings of our forefathers as they were faithful, right? lived faithfully. God poured his blessing out on our nation. Right? People said, God bless America, and it meant it. And so God did. As well, as this land walked in obedience, as its people walked in obedience, regardless of what the leaders may have done or didn't do, But now we're starting to see that blessing being removed. As we move further away from the Lord, the Lord's blessing moves further away. And the negative aspects of the judgment fall. So, but other things happen when the church is doing its job and people are learning the law of God. And as God's judgment goes forth, there is justice in the world, right? And what do we say justice was? Right, that great reconciliation, the the uh, restoration of relationships between men and nations, and most importantly between men and the Lord, nations and the Lord, right? And that brings about peace. Right, nation shall not lift up sword against nation, and when we have peace in terms of nations, as a matter of fact. Paul tells us specifically to pray for this, right? Pray for kings and whatnot. Why did he tell us to pray for that? 
Exactly, so that we can live quiet, peaceable lives. So as our rulers and leaders live in peace or are peaceful, right? We can live quiet, peaceable lives. As it says in our text this morning, but they shall sit every man under his vine and under his fig tree, and no one shall make them afraid. Now, in order for men to live in this manner, every man under his vine and under his fig tree, in order for this to happen, there has to be a measure of self-restraint on a part of the individual that's brought about by the Spirit of God, right? What are the fruits of the Spirit? Who can list them? Yep. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness, and self-control. What's that? Uh, It's not last if you look at it chiastically. (laughs) You need self-control to accomplish all the others, don't you? In order to have love, you need self-control, don't you? So, self-control, that's the big one. I mean, they're all big. Love, joy, peace, (laughs) patience, kindness, goodness, meekness. But uh, self-control is the one that holds them all together, put it that way. It's the one that is required to live the blessed life. Right? Um, have you heard the expression, the good life? That's an ancient expression. When you think of the good life, what do you think of? Honestly. Anybody? No, really. Think of the good life. What's the good life? No worries. Be happy. What's that? Peace. Peace, yes. Anything else? Huh? Have money. Prosperity, yes, yeah, so a peace of prosperity. Very simply sitting out in my backyard with my family, maybe, maybe a nice cold drink. Drink, sure. Relaxing. All right. Enjoying what, I, what I've been blessed with. All right, and enjoying what you've been blessed with, absolutely, sure. I, uh, I planted one this year, yeah. <laughs> That's a reminder, yeah. <laughs> so that was good. So anyways, what else? So we have peace and prosperity, right? We have uh, sitting outside with the family as part of the prosperity, enjoying, enjoying uh, your own produce, which is absolutely part of this. But um, what's that? All right. So we have freely preaching the gospel without any pushback. Okay. So from the government, right? Yes. So religious freedoms. All right, yeah. Obviously, to, from my perspective, and I hope from many perspectives, mm-hmm. this, to be that comfortable and be that uh, relaxed in my backyard, mm-hmm. I, I have to know that I have a relationship with God. Because clearly, if, if we understand God as yeah. much as we can, humanly speaking, right. we know we have to have that, that peace with Him. So that there's not that conflict. Sure. Right, right, right. So part of that good life is having peace with God. That's a good, that's a good answer. All right. So now, now I'm going to show, I suppose, how we're all products of our time. 
because the answer to that question, what is the good life, right? Uh, historically speaking, anyways, if you would have asked any of our ancient forebears, they would have answered uh, a virtuous life. Right? That's how they would have responded to that. The good life is a virtuous life. Virtue is something that is lost on our generation and has been lost in our generation for quite some time, right? Way, way, way back in the day. Let's go to the medieval period. There was a different milieu, right? A different world, a different way of thought. Um, Rod Dreher called it uh, metaphysical realism, philosophically speaking. We spoke about realism before. You know, he threw in the metaphysical part to make it more clear as to what he's talking about. And in a world that is shaped by realism, right? They, it's a. Well, who remembers what realism is first? Let's start there. Does anybody remember what it is as we speak about it? No. Well, that. Remember, we spoke a lot about Plato, right? What was Plato's philosophy? It's part of it, anyways, the part that concerns us. Anybody? Oh, come now. We spoke a lot about this. Good. You probably have the wrong idea. But, um, it's all right, sir. It's like only the things that you see are like real, or like the things that you see are the most important things. Or is it reversed? Reversed. The behind the right. What yes. Right. That's a good way to put it. So the world as it exists is but a shadow of the real world, the world of ideals, ideas, right? Like we talk about chairs and chairness and things like this, right? You remember this? No? So metaphysical realism is, is the, the idea that the essence of a thing exists separate from the thing itself, right? From the, from the, the physical thing. Like, it's not found uh, in the thing. It exists separately from it. It exists, in, in the Christian sense, it would exist because God made the world in that way, right? There's an original ideal, God's ideal, I suppose you could say, and then he created from that, and everything reflects that ideal. Now, how this, how this works out for our sakes in terms of virtue is that the virtues, the great virtues, right? Honor, loveliness. Well, we could just, let's just use these three. Truth, goodness, and beauty are real things, objective things. They exist. And the world around us reflects those things. The world that God made reflects those things, like the, the true things. So um, that was assaulted in the late medieval period by this man named Occam. And Occam's idea was that, nope, nope, God is all-powerful. His meaning doesn't exist in, this, in, in the 
with the things. God imposes meaning on things, right? Let's say goodness. Is something actually good, or is it only good because God declares it to be so? Right? That's the debate. Now, if, God, if something's not good in and of itself, but it's only good because God declares it to be so, then it's neither good nor bad. It's only by virtue of the will is something good or bad, right? Divine fiat. Yes, divine fiat, right. And this idea is taken over. That idea wiped out uh, metaphysical realism. What was interesting about the world of metaphysical realism, though, when people lived in that way, the, I guess, a, a word that's used to describe it is the world was enchanted, right? They lived in a more enchanted world, a world where the spiritual and the physical were much closer. Well, because everything participates in the, as we spoke about, the spiritual aspect, right, of things. The, the, because everything reflects the spiritual aspect of, of, of the things. When we were talking about trees, we spoke a lot about this in a lot more depth, right? And mountains, when we're going through the mountains and we're discussing that, right? What are mountains, right? There's a meaning that stands behind these things is what we said, right? A meaning when, like when God says, uh, men, blessed is the man, right? Who, uh, hold on, I'm sorry. Psalm 1, right? Yeah, right. Thank you. Yep. He is like what? A tree planted by... Right. Because he does what? He bears his fruit in his season. Now, the question that we asked about that was, well, is that just something pretty that the psalmist, the poet there, thought? Or did God design the world in such a way that men actually reflect trees? Or trees reflect men, I should say it that way. Right? Right. He set the world up in such a way that that's, there's a, that connection there is real, right? Between men and trees and men and mountains and mountains and trees and all this is all interconnected through that ideal, right? Through that ideal that God set up. The meaning that God placed in the world itself. Occam's idea says, no, that's just, we impose that on things, right? God imposes that on things. There's no actual meaning in the world. It's imposed by the will, by the mind, right? We can imagine these things. So this idea took over, and the world became disenchanted. And then we have the Renaissance period, And I'm not going to go into all the history of all these ideas, but we will talk about one that's very important, right? Well, I should should say it this way, too. Um, With the disenchantment of the world, there's a loss of the sacred in things. Things become something to be studied apart from God, right? Uh, Because God's not infusing, you know, there's no meaning infused in things itself, right? The thing is just what it is. So now we can study them scientifically, uh, objectively, without finding any special meaning in them, but meaning that 
is given to us by God, as Occam would say, because he still was a Christian. But as time progressed, as, as we study things, uh, it's like now we can infuse those meanings into things, right? We can, we can do this. We don't need God to understand the world. The world is intelligible um, apart from God, right? I mean, we could say that we could act like, well, this led to the deists. Like, uh, I'm not explaining this. Well, I was trying to do this quickly, so I'm skipping so many steps. But, but here, hear me out real quick. Okay. So this led to the deists. That God sort of wound the universe up, and it's all just governed by scientific laws, right? And that's all. And we could study this without even thought of God. I could, we could study the, the, to, the, to this point down to the atomic structures of things. You know, and it's all governed by natural laws, and that stuff works. We know it works, right? Practically, so the world has been very, very disenchanted. What's the magic of a chair anymore, right? There, what, what's the spiritual aspect of a chair? That sounds crazy, doesn't it? If I asked you about the spirituality of a chair, would you be able to answer me? Has anybody ever even thought of something like that? Right, because this world has been disenchanted. There is no spiritual aspect to a chair. A chair is a chair, right? There's no meaning behind a chair. It just is, you know, whatever. It's just, this is fabric and metal and stuffing and wood, right? That's it. That's all it is, right? That's the way that we think about things. Now, and as time... Go ahead. So we pick up a chair as a piece of material designed in a certain way. Right. Right. The ancients would look at the chair, perhaps remembering that, that um, God created the throne on which to sit, and it's, it's placed in so, where, where the chair is placed in a, in a man's world mm-hmm. is significant where you sit. They would talk about the virtues of the chair. What's an example of the virtues of the chair? Well, is it true? Is it good? Or is it beautiful? Remember the question that, that I always keep asking people? Why don't we build cathedrals anymore? That's like, look at older stuff, you know. These are not ornately carved or anything. There's no beauty. It's functional. You know what I mean? There's a difference between them. Like, um, they would speak about the virtues of the thing. And they would try to reflect the true, the good, and the beautiful in what they made. You know what I mean? They tried to, as, as if they're believers, if they're Christians, they would try to reflect it in such a way where uh, God is glorified in it. Because remember, as we, we, I wish I would have brought it. I should have brought it again. That one book speaking about the stonemason, right? The stonemason building the cathedral. Because you haven't been around, so I'll I'll try to the best I can relate the tale. Um, to man went to a cathedral as it was being made and saw the stonemason at work and he was very careful in his craft. Um, As he put it, the stonemason understood the spirituality of the stones. He understood, like, every stone was very different and every stone was made by God and for God. So he tried to reflect that in how he prepared every single stone to, be bu- to build a wall right in the cathedral. 
And because the stone is made by God and for God, they participate in God in that sense. Right? So he did his best to bring out the natural beauties within the stone that God already had made. Right? Go ahead. Sure. You have those mass-produced pressed wood furniture that uh, you know is functional, mm-hmm. not exactly the nicest looking. Maybe it looks okay as as compared to that uh, fine finished carpenter who built that chair from, yeah. from the raw materials, stick by stick, cut by cut, far by far. Well, Yes, yes, part of it. Yeah, part of it is that, I mean, we don't build things to last at all. We spoke about this just in terms of architecture and houses and stuff. Like, it's not, I mean, we don't have, you go, you look at uh, the ruins in, in Europe and there are still structures standing that are wonderful, you know, beautiful. Uh, even if the roof is gone and everything else, there are still castles that have lasted. Uh, I was, uh, when Sal was, was here, he's an arborist, right, and he, deals with trees, cuts down trees and things like that, right? And uh, he was telling a story about going over to, to Europe to do, to do work, and, like, they're cutting down, um, you know, 200-year-old trees because it might fall on a 500-year-old house, you know what I mean? Like, that's, that's different than the way we do things, you know? Like, you go up to, like, uh, nature has to be protected, you know? Right, something like a 500-year-old tree or 200-year-old tree, and that's almost as old as our our nation, you know. So it's it's we don't have quite the same history, but even still, America was marked by pragmatism from the from the get-go, you know, that move west, and it's it's irrelevant to to what we're discussing. Uh, I don't want to get too sidetracked, but 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 regardless of 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 what, um, getting back on to talking about where this idea led, and why our answer about the good life is what it was. Um, peace and prosperity, mostly. Right? And we need to go a little bit further, I think, because the answer that most Americans, most, most Westerners today would give is not just peace and prosperity, but as Francis Schaeffer says, personal peace and prosperity. Right? That's, that's the answer that most people would give to the good life, is personal peace and prosperity. And the, like how we got to that point as a moving, moving on to, to there, um, which I did that I leave off on. Oh, we got into a little bit of, uh, we spoke a little bit about nominalism. Now, what that led to anyways is as, as men started to realize that they could study the world without God, right? they started to decide that, well, I can decide meaning, right? And this ultimately led to the, the, the place where I wanted to go. I'm skipping a whole lot of steps. You have to be mindful of that. This led to the ideas of Sigmund Freud, right? Freud is one of the biggest names that has shaped our modern world, right? Freud, Darwin, Nietzsche, right? These guys are called the horsemen of the apocalypse. What was the other one? It doesn't. 
It doesn't matter. Oh, Marx. How could I forget Marx, right? <laughs> right they're called the four horsemen of the apocalypse, right? Freud, Nietzsche, Marx, and uh, the other guy I said. Anyways, regardless, um, Darwin. So with, with Freud, what he said was, remember what he said about religion? It's the opiate of the masses, right? Because religion provi- provides some kind of constraint. You know, we need some kind of constraint. But as Nietzsche said, God is dead, and we have killed him, right? And who's going to take his place? Well, according to Freud, what can take the place of God is psychiatry, right? Now, in, in the older world, meaning was found in the world itself, right? But now with the rise of nominalism and all the way up to Freud, meaning can't be found in the world. There's no meaning in the world itself. Meaning is found now in, where's meaning found? Us, yeah. We are the ones who provide the meaning, right? So what now becomes the good life is that personal peace and prosperity. Like the, what's the ultimate goal in life is to be happy and to be prosperous. What make what and what can make you happy? You know, those things: personal peace and prosperity. Now, the problem with that view of the world, there are many. <laughs> there, there, are, there are many problems with that view of the world, and it's that understanding is diametrically opposed to what we read here. And the reason for that is, as we said at the very beginning, in order to, um, for every man to sit under his vine and under his fig tree, there needs to be a restraint on appetites. There needs to be self-control. Every man must be satisfied with his own produce. It says under his own vine and his own fig tree elsewhere. His vine and his fig tree here, right? His. Now, in order to be satisfied with your own produce, your appetites must be very small. Now, um, there's so much I want to talk about. I'm not getting through anything. This is terrible. Oh, all right. We'll talk about appetites, because that's where I really want to get to. So uh, not desiring more than what you can produce. And when you desire only that, you have a respect for the produce of others at that point, right? Now, well, when we do that, we don't begrudge any good gift that God gives to another. How many parables did Jesus tell about this? And we don't desire more than what God gives us. So that changes the idea of prosperity, right? And personal peace, you can live the good life even in the midst of the most violent persecution, right? Because you're living a virtuous life. Now, people think that, uh, okay, I don't want to go here just yet. I'm sorry. I'm reading my notes, and my notes are short, you know, so that's a problem. But anyways, uh, that means I'm going to talk about a whole lot more stuff to fill in space. But uh, those, the, let's talk about appetites. That's really what I wanted to get to. If you read the, the New Testament, 
a lot of it was taken. I mean, remember where, what world they lived in. They lived in the Hellenistic world, right? The Hellenistic world was shaped by a number of thinkers, Plato, Aristotle, etc., right? And not a lot that uh, was said by, well, I shouldn't say it that way, not just a little of what Plato said was actually true. Plato wrote a book, we, you, we talked about this, and they spoke about it on, on that uh, theology podcast, right? It was an excellent, excellent one. Um, talking about Plato's Republic. And in the Republic, he had some very good uh, understandings of things, and something that Paul quotes actually quite frequently, and Peter himself uh, in there, right? Talks about the reason, like man is governed by, what man is governed by, really, right? So you have reason, so the head, right? The virtues called the chest. Whoops. C.S. Lewis talked about men without chests, right, in the abolition of man. I'm sure you've heard that expression before, men without chests. Well, it comes from this place, from Plato's Republic. The chest, the virtues, and the belly, the appetites. Remember what Paul says about um, men who can't control their appetites? Their God is their belly, etc. Well, that's where he got that language from, right, from the world that he lived in. These men have no chests. They're governed by their bellies. Now, our understanding of the good life is fully dictated by our appetites, by our bellies. It's because it's about my happiness, right? What I think is of as personal peace, like sitting on the back porch with whatever, uh, with family, enjoying, you know, whatever. And those things are good. God made them to be good but they don't dictate the good life, right? Um, now, those are, those are part of the appetites. So would we govern our lives by our appetites? We allow our appetites to swell, right? And when we allow our appetites to swell, nothing's ever enough. More, more, more. Like how, how much, as... as um, Tom said, right, money is part of the, the good life and our understanding of things, like that prosperity. How much? How much money? What did Just one more dollar, just one more dollar right? That's right. That's, that's, that marks our life, right, that materialistic understanding of things, that, that consumer understanding of, of the good life, right? That marks us uh, in our thinking, right? How much, though, is enough? Right? And as he said, just one more, just one more. I mean, you could make, you could make ten dollars an hour, or you can make a million dollars in an hour. Right? No matter what you earn, you're going to spend it. Right? Always. You always move your lifestyle up in relation to, you know, what you earn. Good. Yeah. <laughs> just enough. Just enough for the day. All right? Give us this day our daily bread is what we're to pray. But the thing is, though, like, this needs to be balanced. Right? There's, there's Christians from way back that saw that like, uh, Rome was corrupt, and we know that it was at points in time. So they decided to be hermits. Give everything away and live in a cave somewhere, 
right? That's a not good either. You know, it needs you need to have balance because what does Solomon say? Well, a good man leaves an inheritance for his children. A righteous man, he says, leaves an inheritance for his children's children. So that's more than enough for him, but it's something that he can leave and give. And what what does Paul say about men who steal? And he says, let them steal no longer, but work. And for what? So that they have something to give. So they have something to give. They need more than enough for just themselves. They need to make extra. And what do they do with their surplus? They use it for um, the good works that God has prepared for us to walk in. Right Now, we as a people need to be marked by those virtues, the lost virtue. You know, here, I want to show you something so you can see what I'm talking about um, more specifically here. I want to go to... Um, I always mix up my Peters, first and second, always, without fail. Yeah, thank you very much. Second Peter one, because this one's good. We could talk about this one. I like this one. This is excellent. Uh, So let's look from verse 3 here. His divine power has granted to us all that pertaining to life and godliness through the knowledge of him who has called us to his own glory and excellence. Now that word excellence there, as it appears here and elsewhere, like when in, when we read in Philippians 4, verse 8, whatever is excellent, right? Same word. If you, you should have a note, you could go down and look at it. The word means virtue. This is the word that they would have meant when they spoke about the, the noble virtues, the, the virtues, right? So what, to his own glory and virtue. This is God's own glory. He called us to his own glory and virtue, by which he has granted to us his precious and very great promises, so that through them you may become partakers in the divine nature. Now, we hear a lot about that, right? From especially the uh, charismatic end of, of Christianity. But what's, be, what's being said there with that understanding, if we read this as a whole, there through the knowledge of him who has called us. Well, he's granted to us, right? His divine power has granted to us all things that pertain to life and godliness through the knowledge of him who has called us to his own glory and virtue by which he has granted to us his precious and very great promises so that through them you may, be, may become partakers of his divine nature. What's being said there? What are, what, what are we going to become partakers in? Well, his own glory and virtues. So it's by living in that manner. We are partakers in the divine nature, having escaped from the corruption that is in the world through sinful desire. See, that's that desire, that lust, that appetite. By escaping that, by living a life according to the divine virtues, now does he put it next? For this very reason, and there's your head, make every effort to supplement your faith with virtue, and virtue with knowledge, and knowledge, there's your head again, right, with self-control, and self-control with steadfastness and steadfastness with godliness and godliness with brotherly affection and brotherly affection with love. For if these qualities are yours and you are increasing, they keep you from 
being ineffective or unfruitful in the knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. For whoever lacks these qualities is so nearsighted that he is blind, having forgotten that he was cleansed from his former sins. Therefore, brothers, be all the more diligent to confirm your calling and election. For if you practice these qualities, you will never fall. So, we see here the head, the knowledge, right? The chest and the desire, the appetite. So this is the world that Peter understood. This is the world that Paul understood. They understood the things that govern men are head, chest, and belly, right? Our government needs to come from the head and the chest. Now, that's radically diametrically opposed to the world that we live in right now. Because, yeah, it's exactly, it's upside down completely. You have to follow your heart, what makes you happy, right? And this is the, we'll talk more about this next week. This is another thing that separates the Christian life, the Christian, the Christian goodness, good life, with the world. We are not islands, right? We think of finding meaning within ourselves, right? Do you have something to say? Oh, okay. I thought you. All right. We, we think of, look at the world around us. We think we could bend and twist reality to shape our desires. I feel like a woman. I'm serious. This is the world we live in. It's insane. It's insanity. It has nothing to do with what's real, you know, what's, what's the exterior world around us. It's all internal. It's all, what do I think? I have to go in within myself to find meaning, right? And what I think is more real than the external world around us. That's a problem. Now, you don't find those extremes in, well, you do in some churches, unfortunately, but we will not call them churches because they are not. But even within the church, you hear this all the time, right? What does the text mean to you? Or, you know, you, what, right, how do you feel? Oh, how do you feel? Oh, my goodness. It's always about the feelings, right? We are, I'm going to get myself into some trouble, but we're governed by women. It is a problem, unfortunately. <laughs> I mean, don't mean that in such a negative way. Uh, I don't, I'm not trying to disparage women, but the church, the modern church, is governed by um, things that were once considered feminine, you know, feminine qualities. We don't hear too much about virtue, right? When's the last time you heard a sermon preached on honor? Right? Duty. Right? About beauty. It's not something that we think about. Right? We don't think about these things at all. Paul says, keep your mind on heavenly things. What are the heavenly things that he's telling us to keep our mind on? Well, he tells us in Philippians what specifically to think about. 
You know, if there is any truth, right? Honor, noble, pure, lovely, etc., right? Excellent or virtuous. If there's anything, think on these things. Right? Those are the things, those are the heavenly things he tells us to think on. Why, does he, why, why would those things, why would the virtues be the heavenly things? Right, keep your mind on things that are above. Why? Why? They are God. Yeah. They reflect God. Right? And when we think about those things, when we're bent on, we're governed by the virtues, when we're governed by the chest, right? when, when we're bent on those things, everything that we do will be reflective of those things, right? Instead of what we desire. There's, that's wildly different than how the modern man lives, even within the modern church, right? Go ahead. Uh, real quick, some of the biggest damage has been done by those who claim Christianity. The German philosopher, yeah. uh, theologian, that said, we don't have to have reason. We just believe it. It's a matter of faith. And so he right. basically torpedoes yeah. objective truth in Christianity. Yeah. And so, Kierkegaard, uh, right? Uh, yeah. Before him? Schleiermacher? Well, yeah. Schleiermacher. Yeah, Schleiermacher said. So that's really problematic. Right. You know, and so when you begin to think about it, we've really lost the glory of God. Absolutely we have, yes. When you lose the glory of God, anything goes. You know, we, we, we've watched the church go through these cycles. Why did heresies arise among us? But the faith right. stand. Right. So what is our life about? It is about the glory of God. And the glory of God, living our lives with the glory of God, means we may not have that peace and comfort that we think. Right. But peace in the midst of the storm. That's why Job says, though he slay me, yet. Yeah, yep, I will praise him. Yeah. Absolutely. Yep, that's exactly correct. Yep. So, are there any other thoughts or comments? Because we'll talk a little bit more about that and then talk about the implications thereof and then um, move on. Oh, Real quick, go ahead. Real quick, and this is all the result of autonomous thinking. Where autonomous thinking, yes. The, the individual thinks that they're the axis upon which the cosmos revolves around. Exactly. Right? And this leads into the problem of the one and the many. Yes, right? it does. Because which is realism versus nominalism. So which the one versus the many, right? The this is, right. 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 So... That's that's absolutely correct, and that's exactly what I was just about to say in different different words when I said real quick, and then you said real quick. What I was gonna say, yeah, what I was gonna say was yes. This is the result. I mean, you put it much better than I was going to. This is a result of autonomous thinking, right? See, it back way back when, when the world was enchanted, like the medievals, they understood their place in the world. And when I say that, I don't mean that in the sense of like a caste system. What I, what I mean is that they were part of something larger than themselves, right? And their meaning, personal meaning, was found in the meaning that God had infused into the world, that create, like as he created, right? So we need to find our created role, right? Why, why is it so odious to the modern man that's, that says a woman is a helper? Mm-hmm. That's right, right. And then this, this is this is what comes in 
this is where verse 5 comes into effect, right? For all the peoples walk each in the name of its God, but we will walk in the name of the Lord our God forever and ever. Now, what, when it says there, what it's saying there is we're not defining ourselves. We're walking in another's definition, right? In the name of our God. What's the modern man's God right now himself, right? He's defining his own purpose, his own ends, his own meaning. Only gods get to do that, right? They get to define what the world means. They made it, right? Well, the modern man thinks like, that he can bend and shape reality according to his own mind. It's just insanity. So, we don't think, we need not, no, we should not think autonomously. We have to see ourselves as a people and find our place within the people, right? We should be defined by our place within our society. Because it's a structure that God made, you know what I mean? Hopefully that makes sense. We're going to talk more about that next week. All right, I'm running really late now. So let's pray, and we'll close. And if there are any questions, because I was not very clear, I wanted to do that way quicker than I, than I did. If there are any questions about how we got from realism to the place where we are, because like I did that so broad, that was terrible, I'm sorry, uh, then we'll ask them next week, okay? So, Heavenly Father, Lord, we thank you for, uh, again, your word and the truth that it contains, Father God. We thank you that we don't get to define what's true, what's good, or what's beautiful, Lord, but that you uh, made the world that way and that you made us with a purpose and a place within it, Lord. We thank you, Father, that, that, that we are not God. And Lord... We thank you that uh, we well, have been made into that people who are called by your name. And Lord, as your people, we uh, seek to worship you today, Father God, in purity of heart and in uh, unity of spirit, Lord. We pray that we would do so, that our worship would be pleasing to you uh, today, Lord, that as we ascend into the heavenlies, Lord God, surrounded by the innumerable hosts, that you would well, be pleased with our worship, that you would hear us as we pray, Lord, and as we sing to you, that you'd be glorified and honored, Lord, and then as we dine with you, Father, you would indeed remember us, and that you'd see us in our plight, Lord God, where we are in this world now, and well, that you'd respond and that you would indeed shake the earth so that the things that will remain, the things that are eternal, um, would be all that is left, Father. And it's in Christ's name we pray. Amen.